Hello and welcome to the January 13th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. This is my neighborhood, this is my life, but this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. I am Mr. Joe, and as always, it's wonderful to have uh, my podcast audience listening once again. Um, I want to start tonight just by saying a quick thank you to a few different people out there who have uh, left some recent reviews of my podcast, and I have to tell you, um, you know, I... Obviously, I'm a real person, and uh, you know, um, you know. Besides my podcast, which might seem a little odd to some, that um, you know, I'm, I'm literally talking to a wall, so to speak. <laughs> I know that sounds a little weird, but you know, just so you can get a vision of where I'm at right now, um, you know, I'm actually in my older son's room and uh, sitting on the couch. Uh, it's a little chilly up here. Um, but when I'm doing my podcast, you know, um, it's almost like, I, I guess, I guess you could say I'm on a radio station, so to speak, and trying to do a talk show. I guess that's the best way to, um, to describe what I'm going through. Uh, when I was in college, uh, my undergrad years, I actually hosted a radio show in my undergrad years. So I am kind of used to this, uh, comes relatively easy to me, but when I'm not doing this, you know, obviously I have a life and, and, and um, you know, let me stop and say that just so you know, what I mean by that is uh, this is part of my life. Doing this podcast for everybody out there is a part of my life. But besides doing my podcast, I have a life. Um, and as you know, I have a wife. And, uh, you know, when I read uh, one of the most recent reviews tonight, um, just to give you a little idea of what went on, um, I have a hard time urinating, <laughs> and I don't mean to uh, be too personal here, um, but I do. I have a very hard time urinating, and, and a lot of times what I have to do is I have to bring my f- um, cell phone into the bathroom, and it's only a matter of time, everybody, until I drop that bad boy in the toilet, unfortunately. I'm just waiting for that day to happen. Um, you know, Ironically, I always say to myself um, that I'm going to drop you one day. And maybe because I, I say it to myself, I'm, I'm conscious of it, so I don't do so. But um, a lot of times I have to bring my phone into the bathroom. And I did again tonight. And uh, uh, I was watching a, actually a show tonight. I'll get into that show in a quick second. Uh, but as I was using the bathroom and, and urinating, um, it, 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 it distracts me when I look at my phone. I happen to pull up um, my own, I use my own podcast application uh, besides Podbeam, I use uh, something called Podca- Podcast Addict. And uh, when I brought it up, just for the heck of it, I, I kind of clicked on Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast podcast description, and up came two really awesome reviews, I have to tell you. And uh, the most recent one, it, it sounds to me like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm helping people out. And really, it means a heck of a lot to me. You know, there's been some really cool comments that were left on the Podbean 
application, and I believe this latest podcast review came from um, an Apple iTunes review, and I just want to say out there, I'm not going to announce your name, um, but please understand that I'm well aware of your name, um, and not because I, I know who you are, but because your name was listed on the review. And uh, I am so excited to know that I'm helping somebody. And, and after, so here, just to go back to my story, um, I was urinating, and as I was urinating, I saw the review, um, and, and I ran out to my wife, and, you know, we were sitting on the couch watching a movie, not a movie, a show, and she had it on pause, and I, and I, I kind of threw the phone over to my wife, and I said, take a look at that. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I had some tears in my eyes, and she looked at me, and she smiled, and she said to me, she said, Mr. Joe, Mr. Husband Joe, I am so, so very proud of you, and I'm so happy that you really are helping people. And, um, you know, so it gives me a lot of joy, and I, and I thank you for the reviews, and, you know, it's not necessary. I love that people are writing them, um, and, and it's great. I, I'd like to hear more. So, and I don't, I'm not one of those podcast people that beg for the five-star reviews. Um, you know, I listen to some wrestling podcasts and a lot of times, or, or, or my baseball podcast that I do listen to, and a lot of times they will ask for a five-star review. I'm not asking for any kind of five-star review. I just want to know what people are thinking and what I could do to make this better and what you guys would like to hear next. Um, once again, I'd like to give you my email uh, since we're... We're talking about leaving reviews. If you're not comfortable leaving a review with your name, please understand that everything that you write to me in an email is completely 100% anonymous. Your name will never be mentioned unless you you indicate that you would like me to mention your name. Uh, but you can reach me at mrjoebp at yahoo.com, and that's mr uh, for Mr. M-R-J-O-E-B-P at yahoo.com. And I got to try to remember, maybe if I write this down, uh, at the end, I'm going to say that, at the end of podcast, let's try to remind you guys again about my email. Uh, I did get a couple of emails, some really good ones. Um, uh, really just complimentary emails, which is great. So um, no, no questions yet. Um, but some really nice complimentary emails along with that wonderful uh, podcast review that I just got that I saw and showed my wife. And I'm just so elated to know that I'm helping people. Um, so the show that we were watching, and I mentioned it once before, uh, and I had boycotted the show. And my, my wife has convinced me to watch it again. And the show, the name of the show is Scandal. And I'm just going to say a quick something about this show. I have to tell you that I have never in all my life, and, you know, I understand that many, many shows nowadays revolve their entire theme, or not theme, but I guess when everybody is winding down in a show or stressed or, you know, sometimes just talking, um, you know, especially this show. I mean, I am just astonished at the amount of alcohol that goes down in this show every single time something happens you know there's a, there's a character in here and her name is Olivia and I, I the woman has must have drank has probably be gone, consumed uh, 50,000 bottles of red wine I mean I just don't understand it 
Um, you know, so again, every, every amount of stress that these characters endure, I mean, what are they showing our society? Now, I know our kids are not watching it because it's rather late night. Um, but to me, in essence, what it says to our society is that it's okay to drink. And I got to tell you, here we are. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about alcohol tonight. It's alcohol 101. And, um, you know, I, I, I guess I want to start off by saying that it's not okay. It's not okay for these shows to depict this kind of stuff and, and indicate to society that it's all right to drink. And I guess because it's legalized, you know, I mean, maybe that's the reason why they, they show that. What's going to happen in a state, uh, typically, let's see, uh, pick a state like New York. I know New York, um, well, New York's not really a good one. I'm trying to think of a state. Um, uh, maybe there's not a whole lot. Well, I'm trying to think of marijuana, where it's legalized. And I believe it's medically allowed in New York. I believe it's medically allowable in Connecticut. Um, but I guess what I'm trying to say is what's going to happen when marijuana is legalized in, in, in a whole essence the way alcohol is? I mean, are they going to be smoking joints on TV? I, I just don't know. I really don't know. It's It's just a shame that this is what society has to see. And, um, you know, I had a really awesome plan for this podcast tonight, and I'm actually going to venture away from it a little bit. I have to alter my podcast, and I'll tell you why in a second. Um, I just want to give you a quick update on how I'm feeling. Um, I am currently still on the Lamictal. Um, I am still on the same dose because I contacted my doctor and I was under the impression that I would be increasing once every week and uh, she wrote me back and told me that was incorrect and she would actually like me to uh, increase every two weeks and she said that that uh, that makes the um, the rash that is associated with Lamictal makes it a little less of an issue um, and I certainly don't want to take that chance now um I have to tell you, and, you know, if I had wood to knock on, I would. Uh, I'm doing really, really well, everybody, and I'm so happy to report that. That um, today was actually the very first day um, that I, I logged into my eMood tracker. I log in every day, but the first day in a long time, I think about four or five days where I actually logged in that I had irritability. And the irritability was only with my dogs that I have here in my home. Um, uh, they, they had me bent out of shape today. They really bothered me. And, you know, my wife actually sat with me um, and, and explained to me that, you know, Mr. Joe, husband, they're dogs. And here's the difference. And here's where I can see that my lamictal is working. There was a time where my wife would simply just sit me on a couch just like she did tonight and you know give me a quote-unquote speech so to speak about the dogs just like she did tonight and say you know you know come on Mr. Joe they're just animals you know they don't know they bark they need to go out um, and there would be a time where I would have gotten defensive I would have taken it as an attack and instead tonight because my mood is finally stabilizing I was actually able to listen to my wife and, 
you know, and I kind of actually felt bad for the dogs. Um, you know, listen, I would never hit an animal. I would never hit a female. Those are things that, you know, Mr. Joe does not believe in. As much rage as I have um, in, exhibited throughout my life, those are a couple of things that I do not engage in. Hitting animals and hitting women and hitting children. None of it do any good. Um, you know, now, don't get me wrong, okay? There have been times that uh, my wife and I have gone at each other's throats. And I will tell you right now, alcohol was absolutely involved. It's amazing because every bad thing that goes on in life, it always seems like alcohol is involved. Um, and what I wanted to do, and I'm gonna, I am going to do this with, um, with my podcast, and I am going to talk about some of the horrible mistakes I made while I was under the influence of alcohol. Um, but it's just amazing that, once again, alcohol ruined the life of somebody very, very close to me just over the past couple of days. And uh, I got to try to navigate my way around what I'm about to say because I don't want to say too much about what I did because if I do, you're going to find out who I am. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you like this. Um, over this last weekend and, we're, you know, the last couple of days into today, uh, I was invited to a very, very large conference for work um, and the conference held about 550 people I think the exact number of people that were present at this conference were 557 people um, and I actually spoke at this conference um, and and I am going to tell you that um, it was not about autism uh, something else that I do uh, for a living and uh, I'm not going to get into that right now uh, but I did have to speak at this conference. Uh, there's 557 people at this conference, and I did speak. And uh, it really, really went well. Um, and it just so happens that um, my senior director um, at my current place of employment, he actually attended this conference. And it was a little weird because um, we both attended this conference. And it had nothing to do with um, my job that we both work at. However, unfortunately, alcohol did affect his um, his job. And it's, it's just so sad that, you know, I, I just want to let you know that out of the 557 people, I can honestly tell you that I believe I was the only sober one at this entire conference, and I'm not kidding you. And I, 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 I did. I made it a point to look around and watch every single person to see exactly what everybody was doing. Every single person that I laid my eyes on had a drink in their hand. There was not a single time where they didn't. Um, there was one moment where I put a drink in my hand, not an alcoholic drink. I had um, spoken to the bartender earlier in the day, um, and I. Gave her a little uh, insight on why I was there. And one of my partners at work, I actually went with three people from work. And um, again, this conference was not for my job necessarily, but my job kind of sent us to this conference. Not really sure if it makes a whole lot of sense. Let's put it this way. My job sent us to this conference, but we were not speaking about things related to my job. So that, I hope that clears that up for you. Um, so clearly all the, well, actually, 
I have to say, I, I, not everybody was drinking. Myself and one other person from work was not drinking, which I was very proud of this uh, this young girl uh, that she refused to engage in alcohol. And I've seen her be, be a real hot mess before. Don't get me wrong. We've been at work events before, and she has certainly, certainly um, uh, had plenty to drink in her life. But uh, upon us leaving for this conference, it's, it's kind of funny because my wife, uh, this young girl, I drove her to the conference and uh, she had to use the bathroom before we went. And my wife looked at her and she said, do me a favor, keep an eye on him. You know, and, and my guys, my wife had nothing to worry about. Not when it comes to alcohol. Believe me when I tell you nothing to worry about. It's been a very long time since I have, a, have had a drink. Since 2005, it's been. So that's a long time. So, uh, But, you know, it's not easy. You see people at the bar. You see people all around you drinking. And um, at, the, at this particular time, I was at the bar, and I had spoken to the bartender because one of my coworkers was right next to me getting a drink. And uh, I had told her that I was not drinking because she asked me twice what I would like to drink. And I said, nothing. She said, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I'm sure. Um, and then finally, you know, kind of gets a little uncomfortable sometimes because you look around and everybody's drinking and she's almost like in shock. And I said to her, no, I actually have not had a drink in many, many years. And she turned to me and said, wow, you know, my husband's been clean for three years also. And I said, well, that's great. And anyway, she told me about a, a special drink that she makes, which is non-alcoholic. And uh, later on that evening, I had seen her. And uh, at this particular conference, we were given tickets to drink, uh, free tickets, which would allow for free drinks. And uh, I handed one of my tickets to my coworker, who actually happened to be my boss. And uh, I said, do me a favor, ask the bartender for that drink she mentioned. And um, she gave me the drink, and it was a seltzer with a, um, a, a little bit of lime juice in it, I believe. And it had a little orange in it, um, like an orange piece. Um, and it was delicious, and, you know, I kind of walked around, and um, <laughs> I, I didn't even put on a show because I was so thirsty. The Lamictal is making me so thirsty that I literally downed the seltzer in about 10 seconds. So I don't know if it was intended to be like, hey, pretend you're mingling and uh, take part in the alcohol extravaganza, uh, which I really didn't do so because, uh, like I said, in about 10 seconds it was gone. Um, now, here's the interesting thing, guys. The co-worker that was with me that did did not drink, um, she's on the same level as me. I had my boss there with me, and then we had our senior director who was also present. And um, my senior director, I have to tell you, he is a real piece of work. I mean, this is a man that I've known actually for a very long time and um, knew, him, knew him when I was younger in my college days. And it's funny because when I got a, I, when I got a job at my current company, I had not seen this man in a long, long time. And when I went for my very first day, my interview, which, by the way, you will hear all about in Suboxone 101, because I actually was on about my fifth or sixth day of withdrawing from Suboxone when I went for this interview. Um, oh, God, was that a nightmare. Um, but, yeah, I had to go for a brand-new job for, uh, about five or six days after coming off of Suboxone my first time around, um, and I went for that interview, and I happened to see this guy in the elevator, and i got to tell you, we both looked the opposite way, 
pretended we did not even know each other because the things we know about each other from college, nobody wants to know about. So we just kind of looked the other way, pretended we didn't know each other, and that was that. And at the time, when I got hired, he was not my boss, but he ended up becoming my boss a little over a year ago. Um, and I got to tell you, it's great because when you got a friend who's your boss, um, you know, it's kind of cool. Now, on two separate occasions, I'll tell you about what happened with this man. He's a very, very obnoxious, drunken, um, drunken, mean, uh, you know, drug addict-like individual who puts on a real good persona at work and nobody really knew too much about how much of a problem he had up until recently when he was actually acted a fool at one of our other events and he was forced to um, sign a contract and, and tell the uh, company that he would never drink again. And uh, we actually went away on another trip and he had drank in front of about 10 or 11 of my colleagues Nobody told on him, and he got away with it. And I said to myself, I can't believe that this guy is even doing this. But um, about a year ago, we also went to this same conference that we just went to a couple of days ago. And what story I'm about to tell you, keep in mind that this individual did the exact same thing last year. Last year, he didn't get caught, so I thought, anyway... He got caught this year doing what he did, and they actually brought up last year, which, I, again, I had no idea that they even knew about, and they kind of let it slide. Nobody likes this guy. Um, I certainly don't care for him, and, you know, he's, he's really caused a big problem for my boss and I because my boss and I, he's, again, he's our boss, and um, we've more or less had to cover his tracks for the last year. We've had to babysit him everywhere that we go. Um, there was actually one event... Uh, the, the past event where the 11 people saw him drinking, well, um, prior to that, we went to a, a different event where I actually had to put him in a headlock and because uh, he had pushed me from behind in a, in a hotel room. He was so drunk that he pushed me and I actually hip-tossed him and put him in a headlock and I squeezed him and, um, you know, I was real angry and, you know, certainly not the right way to behave, but I actually made him beg and plead for forgiveness and it was horrible what I did to this man. Um, and ever since then, I've kind of had him by the you-know-whats because, uh, you know, um, you know, who, who beats up their senior director, their boss? Not, not many people, but I did. And, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of had a, a lot of respect for me, I guess. Not, not, not good respect not respect that I certainly wanted to earn um, in that aspect, um, but it, it was well-deserved and I had to do it. But to this conference, and let me get down to the point here because I'm really, really dragging this out for no reason whatsoever. This idiot, what he did was, and it's amazing because last year I knew he did it because he texted me and told me he did it, and I ignored him. This year we had no idea until the president of the organization approached me, as well as the hotel manager of where we were staying, and they pulled me aside and they said, Mr. Bipolar Joe, could we talk to you? And I said, sure. And they said, listen, they said, you know the dirt bag that you brought with you last year and this year? Well, you know, last year he was not very fun to be around, and he kind of ruined your time, and, 
you know, he actually changed who you were because it appeared you had the babysit him last year. And, you know, this year, you know, you seem a little bit cooler. You're not really worrying about him too much, which we're very grateful about. But we got to tell you, he's not welcome back here anymore because this man went behind the bar last night and stole the bottle of wine. Now, last year was a bottle of scotch. It was about a $100 bottle of scotch that he stole, and he was bragging about it. He texted me, and God, if you could only see the text message. I actually had saved the text message um, because I'm... Uh, well, listen, part of being bipolar, unfortunately, guys, is having a bit of paranoia, and it's something that I'm trying to work on and something that I've been living with for a very long time. But I think I rightfully so was paranoid in the sense where... Um, I'm very well respected at this conference where I go to. And this guy was talking so much nonsense about me and my boss last year that several people had come up to us and told us. And because I didn't trust him, when I had gotten that text message, I just saved it. Kind of just saved it for, you know, for the future. God forbid anything ever went down. I had some backup, so to speak. And it's funny because a year ago today, I, I got that text message and ironically... I have Amazon Photos and Google Photos and all these cloud services. And while I didn't have the, the, the screenshot on my phone, the picture um, popped up in my Amazon Prime Photos, you know, and said, memories from last year. And bam, up pops that text message from last year. And here he is again, the moron, doing the exact same thing he did. But this time, he didn't tell anybody. He was on his own. I, I went to bed around, um, I think it was 9.30. I was back at my hotel room, which is actually really late for me. Um, and God only knows what time he stayed out to. So anyway, the, the president and the hotel manager had come up to me and they said, he stole a bottle. He is no longer welcome here. As a matter of fact, we'd like him to leave uh, first thing in the morning. Um, and we're going to call the uh, company on him. And me, being the good guy that I am, I was like, well, guys, please don't do that. You know, please, this is this man's livelihood. And um, they said, well, we'll think about it. Now, um, they, they had also asked me, do you want to take care of it or do you want us to take care of it? And I said, you know, this is a little bit of an uncomfortable position for you to put me in. This is my, this is my boss here, friend or no friend. This is my senior director. I am not going to go up to my boss and tell him what you just told me. So, lo and behold, the hotel manager and the president grabbed him aside, and I actually watched this go down. And you could see the sadness and the fear, combination of both. Just, um, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody get in trouble. Almost, you know, and he's about my age. I'd say he's about 41. I'm 42. He's a year younger. You know, you could see a combination of sadness, guilt, um, you know, just pure embarrassment in this man's face as his, he kind of just looked down and listened to these men speak to him and he just shook his head and, um, you know, that was the last I saw of him that evening. And he called and he called and he texted and, you know, please help me. And, you know, my boss went out and spoke to him and she said to him, you know, you got to leave. I wouldn't even come to dinner. And he said, well, they told me I could come to dinner and eat. And she advised him, she said, you know, senior boss, go home, go back to your room, get in, get up in the morning and get out of here. And, um, you know, we were put in a very bad position because, you know, uh, 
we knew about the contract and we also were very well respected by this organization and we didn't want to allow him once again his disgusting acts of his alcoholic behavior to ruin our reputation and our name. Um, so we were very torn and, uh, you know, I was certainly wasn't going to tell on him. But my boss, I believe, had all intentions of at least saying that, you know, they, that she thinks she sh that, you know, the agency should give uh, the president a call. Well, I'll tell you this. She didn't even have to because uh, this man, unfortunately, at uh, 7 o'clock in the morning, he left for work. I mean, left to uh, leave. And on his way back home, he was actually scheduled to go to a different work event with the company. And about 7 o'clock in the morning, he w got a call from the CEO, and the CEO told him, and I know this because the CEO called me later on, and the CEO told me, I'll tell you what she told me, she called this man and said, do me a favor, don't come to the work event, uh, just go straight home and you're suspended until Tuesday. And apparently he had a conniption over the phone because he couldn't wait, and I can't blame him. You know, um, who wants to live with that anxiety of not knowing whether or not you have a job? And she said, okay, well, you know, the, the work event is until about 3. It's in the city um, in, where, where we, in Mr. Joe's neighborhood, a little outside the city of Mr. Joe's neighborhood. And I'll uh, meet you at the office at 4. And they met at 4, and she terminated on him on the spot. And she called me up, and she said, you know, this is not about his contract and about the fact that he couldn't, um, control himself in terms of his drinking. Not even about that. You know, sure, that's, that'll automatically get him fired, but, you know, he committed a crime. He committed a crime. And there is no way in the world that my company is going to stand for that. So, alcohol ruined this man's life. And I can tell you that I know his wife had taken the year off, very much like my wife. My wife has actually had the luxury this year of taking the year off. And believe me, it's not because I make a lot of money. Um, it's just because, uh, you know, little Mickey is home. He's only eight months old. And my wife and I decided that it would be in our best interest for my wife to stay home and me to work a little bit harder this year, which has not been easy as somebody with bipolar disorder. But, um, you know, my wife is still working very hard. And I don't want to tell you too much about what she's doing. She was able to um, work from home. Um, not making anywhere near what she was making. So money has been a struggle for us. But this this man uh, is also in a similar position as me. And I could tell you he makes about double what I make. So money was not an issue. And he had no problem allowing his wife to stay home. And I'll tell you this. Looks like his wife will be going back to work now. So, you know, that's really kind of sad news. And it's... uh. It's, I can't help but think about it. I've been thinking about it all day today. I really have. Because as much as a jerk as this man is, I mean, and he is a jerk, guys. You know, and I have been there, okay? You know, um, there have been many, many times where I have thought about stealing. Especially in my, my, my drug addict days, my God, when I was using, you know, and I didn't have money. <laughs> so many times did I think about stealing. You know, there was one time that I did get caught, and we already talked about that in one of my... Uh, past episodes, you know, but, um, you know, stealing becomes a, it's, a, it's part of bipolar, you know, it was something that I used to think about all the time, it was a, something that used to give me a high, almost, and 
Um, you know, I mentioned the Kmart story. Um, I actually can recall another time in which I um, actually stole and then put something back. I had stole money. I was in a um, in a center, and let's just leave it at that. A center where um, I had been working on uh, teaching some children, and uh, one of the um, one of the co-workers that was there, and what really wasn't a co-worker, so kind of another employee of the organization where I was at, she had left a pocketbook there. And I took her money. I took her money. At the, at the time, I was uh, abusing OxyContin. I was actually um, abusing OxyContin in a way where um, I was snorting it. And I had took her money, and I actually ended up putting it back. Um, I was teaching this kid for about an hour and a half, and I took it in the very beginning of the uh, teaching period, and by the end of the period, I had put it back. Um, and, and, you know, what's amazing is if, if that woman would have walked in at any time while I was teaching and recognized that her money was gone, I would have ended up stealing it uh, because I, I just was so scared of doing it. Um, I ended up putting it back later on. Um, yes, yeah, so I did. Uh, I did snort oxycontin, um, and we will talk about that in opiates 101. Um, but alcohol is really the gateway drug for me. Alcohol is where it all started, and um, I actually recall my very first stint with alcohol was, um, you know, well, we did have some issues in school. There was a high school incident, which um, you know, me and my buddies we used to cut out of school, and we would uh, get drunk. We would drink alcohol, and we would just, you know. Um, we thought it would be fun to uh, not just cut out of school. We like to come in late to school so we could all walk around drunk. And I'll never forget my Italian teacher had caught me. Um, she smelt the alcohol on my breath. And, um, you know, she uh, sent me down to the dean. And, um, you know, I had lied to my parents. I was suspended from high school for quite some time. But, you know, the alcohol... Alcohol events didn't end there. Um, I actually recall, and it's very interesting, that two serious, serious things went on with me in, in terms of car accidents when it came to alcohol. The very first incident that I had with alcohol with a car, um, I had drank and I had smoked marijuana for the first time at the age of 16 years old. And I thought it would be a fun idea to go on the roof of a car while one of my buddies was driving about 30 miles an hour. Um, maybe even faster, 30, 40, I, I don't even know. And of course, they made a sharp turn, and I went flying headfirst, and um, I will never forget the amount of blood and the amount of injuries that I sustained, stitches throughout the entire um, side of my body. I'm, I'm lucky I didn't break any bones. I mean, you know, that was the first time that I was uh, really, really wasted, I have to tell you. And I, I spent a lot of my high school years drinking, you know, just nonstop drinking. Um, you know, that, that continued into my college years. And um, I will never forget one of the most horrific um, times that I had ever um, had an alcohol incident was with a car. And, uh, you know, I was downtown where I went to college and... You know, normally we had buses that would take us back to our campus. And um, my one of my fraternity brothers at the time, uh, his girlfriend had met me downtown. And she had offered 
to drive me back to campus. So instead of taking the bus, I said, you know what, all right, I'll take a ride back to campus. A lot of times you stand on that bus and you kind of, the way the bus would sway back and forth, I can't tell you the amount of people that would vomit on that bus because of that sick feeling that you would get. And uh, so I said, all right, I'll take a ride, take a ride home. So, um, you know, she had swerved from the uh, right side to the left side of the road and hit a car head on. Um, And I believe I discussed this in one of my previous podcasts. Uh, And I went through the windshield uh, and I had reconstructive surgery. And uh, I I recall waking up um, and I actually had talked about this with um, nurse practitioner uh, Moron. Um, when she had told me about the uh, potential possibility that my bipolar was not bipolar and it was due to a head injury. Well, that's when I sustained that head injury and I landed on the roof of a car. And um, I recall being woken up in a hospital and they actually had clamps on my eyes. And the reason why they had clamps on my eyes is because they were holding them open so that they could actually pull shards of glass from my eyeballs. Um, and that's what I remember waking up to, having glass pulled out of my eyes and pulled out of my head. And, you know, I ended up getting reconstructive surgery. And, you know, um, the, the drinking went on and on and on. You know, the drinking continued. The drinking continued up until my marriage. Um, and, you know, I, I, you can't blame anybody for your actions. But I got to tell you, here's what is so sad to me. You know, I had a conversation with my parents the other night, and um, and I might have mentioned this on on a previous podcast about how they were all concerned about, you know, whether or not I'm feeling well, and, um, you know, how could my son turn into this, and what has happened to my son? I can't believe, what is a schizoaffective diagnosis? How did you turn into this? And, and the whole time they're slurring their words and they're slurring their words and it's my parents, my mom's slurring her words, my dad's slurring his words. And, you know, I, I guess the apple, you know, that old saying, and I hate to use cliches, but that apple doesn't fall far. And that is what I grew up seeing. I saw a lot of drinking, you know, and I, I think it's a shame that um, I had to spend Christmas with my mom. Um, and I didn't have to, but I decided to uh, bury the hatchet, so to speak, uh, because I had to have an order of protection actually out against my own mom because of her behavior. Um, you're going to hear about my mom um, probably in my next episode, which will be Borderline Personality 101. Um, but the combination is deadly when it comes to my mom because she does have borderline personality disorder and she is a very, very heavy drinker. Um, and... On the uh, holiday, I had to see her, and I and I definitely have mentioned this already, and I believe I even mentioned that she had the audacity to tell me that her doctor said it was okay to drink and take antidepressants. Not okay. Not okay at all. But there was a point in my visit during uh, the Christmas visit where my parents had broke out a couple of 8-millimeter films that they had put on VCR tape. And they popped them in for me and, and um, you know, they wanted to see me as a baby and see some of the old videotapes. And I, I got to tell you, it's so sad that I, I would say in 80% of the videos that I watched, there was alcohol. Nothing but drinking going on in those videos. And not just by me, by my parents. You know, there was one scene where my 
Sister Sweet Sixteen was on video. And my mother and my father were absolutely trashed out of their minds. And my sister was 16 years old, and she was trashed out of her mind. I had to be about 20, I believe, me and my sister, about four or five years apart. Um, you know, give or take a few months. She was born in May. I was born in August. So I believe it's close to five years, but not just about. And, you know, so I had not even been 21 at the time, and I was completely bombed on video also, and... You know, this is the type of stuff that went on in my in my family, and um, what I what I found so interesting, and I never knew how serious alcohol was, believe it or not, until I um, I saw what my own mom went through, and she uh, she decided one day. After trying to commit suicide, okay, my mother, yeah, she uh, swallowed, I believe, 35 or 40 Xanax pills, and uh, she tried to commit suicide, and uh, somehow she made it, and when she came out of the hospital, she had this new plan that she was going to stop drinking, and she did, and she stopped for exactly one year. And I never knew how serious drinking was until I watched my mother actually deteriorate before my eyes when she stopped drinking. Now, one would think that things would get better. Now, I, I, before I say this, I want to make sure everybody understands, if you are drinking, please don't allow this story to prevent you or stop you from stopping drinking. Okay, because I don't want you to think that this is going to happen to you. My mother went about this in all the wrong ways. Okay, she quit cold turkey. First of all, you don't want to quit cold turkey. Okay, as far as I know, anyway, I believe seizures can happen, things of that nature. That's the first and foremost. More importantly, you don't want to quit without getting the proper help. And what I mean by that is you need the support of other people. And whether that be an alcohol anonymous group, and listen, I know a lot of people out there are not alcohol anonymous fans. I am not a huge fan of AA, um, mainly because, uh, well, AA, I say, is a little bit better than NA. And I only say that because of my own personal experiences. Anytime I went to NA, um, I was always um, approached, not always, but there were times where I was approached by other members and they were looking either for drugs or trying to talk me into taking drugs. And that's not okay. Not when you're trying to get clean. Uh, AA, for me anyway, in the area that I live in, Mr. Joe's neighborhood, just seemed to be a little bit more of a, of a down-to-earth crowd. And uh, really, really were working on those, those 12 steps and, and, and getting clean and staying clean and doing all the things necessary. But my mother, on the other hand, she decided that she was just going to quit. And I could not believe what had happened to my mother. As This is a woman that I thought was going to get healthy because she quit. And what had happened was actually she experienced something that I experienced with my Suboxone withdrawal, which I like to refer to as PAUSE. And what PAUSE stands for is Post-Acute Withdrawal Syndrome. Now, there are a lot of people in this world that are not going to agree with me 
A lot of people, a lot of doctors actually, a lot of professionals who do not believe that that is actually a syndrome. And I can tell you with 100% certainty that it is because I lived it and because I watched my mother live it. And a little bit about what happened. And I don't want to get too much into it because I don't want to take away the um, the thrill of Suboxone 101 because you really got to le- learn about what I went through in my Suboxone pause. Okay, but my mother experienced post-acute withdrawal syndrome with alcohol. And what happened to her was she was an absolute disaster for one whole year. This is a woman who was absolutely depressed for an entire year. It did not matter what antidepressant she was on. It didn't matter what milligrams she was on. It didn't matter how many antidepressants she tried or took. Nothing worked. And she could not break out of it. Um, the depression was so severe from stopping drinking, and I, I guess because what it comes down to is, is her brain was so accustomed to dealing with everything in life with alcohol, and that's really what happens, guys, um, is when you do a drug, and, and we'll just talk about alcohol for now, when you when you cope with every everything in life is centered around having a drink, Kind of like scandal, okay? You know, oh, you're mad at your husband. You're mad at your wife. You had a rough day on the job. Um, Your favorite team lost their game. Um, You know, whatever it is, I'm going to have a drink to calm down. All of a sudden, what happens when you stop drinking is the most simplest things in life that, you know, normally that we can deal with in life, that the normal person can deal with, because we're so used to coping with things through drinking alcohol, the most simplest things in life become an absolute obstacle to overcome because you're so used to having that drink and allowing that drink to depress your body and to depress your mind and slow you down, make you feel better, you know, in some cases, cause euphoria, especially with me. You know, with me, drinking was nothing but a euphoric state of mind. Um, I was very different from um, a lot of people where I, I, I became extremely energetic, um, extremely interested in, in sexual relationships, wanting to be with other women. Um, didn't matter who I was with. You know, alcohol was a means of, you know, cheating on people and, and exploring other avenues and, um, you know, fighting and being angry. And, um, you know, I got to tell you, uh, absolutely um, mortified about what that me and my ex-wife used to go through. I mean, when I was first married to that woman, the disgusting things that went on with that woman and, you know, the violence that occurred in that household... Um, you know, with children, with children present, um, just not okay, not okay, any of it. Um, and it's just horrible, horrible stuff that, you know, you think back to, you think back to some of the horrible things that you do. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, we're doing alcohol 101 tonight, guys, but, you know, alcohol is that gateway drug, like I said. And, you know, I remember a time where, uh, God, you know, because alcohol was in the mix, that that prompted me to want cocaine. 
And I will never forget my little baby girl at the time, Sarah Lee. You know, we talked about Sarah Lee, who's 14 years old now. And I'm actually, um, I'm, it's a very, very, very hard thing for me to say. But I'm going to say it. And because of alcohol, I, I ended up doing what I did. Um, alcohol led to cocaine. And my little baby girl, Sarah Lee at the time, she couldn't have been more than one, one and a half or um, about that age. And she was so, so smart, such a smart little girl. And she loved animals. And I'll never forget, you know, Daddy, I, I, want, I want a lizard. That's what she wanted. She wanted a little lizard, a little ge gecko lizard. And, um, and I said, okay, uh, I'll get you a gecko lizard. And I had been drinking that day. And I was, of course... Uh, um, took my daughter out in the car. Now, no, I wasn't wrecked. I certainly wasn't wrecked, but, you know, if I would have gotten pulled over, it probably would not have been good. I would have been going to jail, endangering the welfare of a child. But it gets worse. It gets worse from there. Because I was drunk driving around my daughter, um, we had bought the lizard, put the lizard in the car, it was in a little box, and my little baby girl was in the back in her car seat, and we were headed home, and I had the urge for cocaine because I was drinking. Um, and I decided that I was going to give my cocaine dealer a call. And lo and behold, he said, uh, yeah, I got but you know what? I'm not home, or I'm, or I'm leaving. I'm going out. But I'll leave it for you. Do you know that I took that little baby girl who was so excited to get that little leopard gecko home and set up the cage and put it inside. I took that little baby girl on a 40-minute drive to that cocaine, cocaine dealer's house. And uh, I left her in the car and I parked in the driveway. You know, the car was in sight. Not that, not that any of this is okay, okay? I'm not certainly not saying, uh, you know, making excuses and saying, well, you know, just because I could see the car, it was all okay. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, parked the car, got out, and I went to the truck where the cocaine was, and, um, you know, I, I left the money there, and I got the cocaine, and, you know, I wish it would have stopped there, but it didn't. While my beautiful little Sarah Lee was in that car, sitting with the leopard gecko, I made sure that I did a line right in that truck before, you know, I purchased it. I had to do a line. And, uh, you know, I got in the car and drove with my little baby girl. And uh, you best believe that I probably, although I don't remember, don't remember too well, probably stopped at 7-Eleven or another place of some something like that and got another case of beer and brought it home. Just absolutely disgusting um it's embarrassing embarrassing stuff and it's very sad so here's what i want to say to you about alcohol and as you can see i mean the, the in about 50 minutes worth of time the, the the disgusting things that can transpire from alcohol here's the thing guys i'm not okay with any alcohol at all that's because i have bipolar disorder you cannot have bipolar disorder and drink. Your chemicals are not going to accept alcohol as a means of managing your bipolar disorder. If you're off medication, forget it. If you're on medication, forget it. I don't know which is worse, to be honest with you. 
I couldn't even imagine. I'm not even going to get into the effects of which one would be worse. You know, you may be able to get by for some time if you're not on medication, if you're using alcohol as a depressant when you're manic. And I do know a lot of people that would go into mania and they would use alcohol, me being one of them, as a means of depressant, um, or at least hoping that I would bring myself down a little bit. With me, it was really that alter, alternate effect where, you know, uh, because I was so euphoric and manic, I always wanted to get one step higher. And because alcohol would do that for me, it would bring me up one step higher. And, you know, even if I wasn't living with bipolar disorder, I would have caused bipolar disorder with the way that I lived. You know, the drinking binges that I would go on five, six nights a week. You know, they'd then be depressed for days and days on end. And then as I got older, when I started abusing cocaine and using opiates, um, you know, you'd get high for a few days and you'd drink for a few days and you'd be depressed. I mean, you know, it just doesn't work, guys. You cannot do it. So now, if you... <coughs> excuse me. Still got a lingering cough. I apologize. It's almost gone, though. If you're using alcohol to manage your moods, it's just never going to work. You're going to end up like me. You're going to end up like me. You're going to end up losing your children for a certain period of time. Even though prescription drugs 101 or psychotropic drugs 101 will talk a little bit more about that because it wasn't truly alcohol that allowed me to lose my children at that time. But it all leads to the same place. It really does. If you're, if you're, Managing your moods without medication through alcohol and other substances, it's only a matter of time before it's just going to stop working. Take it from me. I mean, you know, that's, what, that's why I'm doing these podcasts, guys, to, to help you to understand, to let you understand that it did not work for me. And many, many times I nearly ruined my entire life because of alcohol. Because I decided that I was going to manage my moods with it. And I am extremely lucky that I'm still here today to speak to you all about it. Because it just doesn't work. Now, if you're taking medication, forget it. Your medication's not working properly. Because if you're on alcohol, it's not working properly. Listen, if you're not bipolar and you just decided you're going to listen to a bipolar, Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast... Enjoy your alcohol, be safe, don't drink, and drive. You know better, okay? I hope you know better. Um, but, you know, I cannot sit here and yell at the world for drinking. You know, if, if, if you have control over it, I certainly know that I don't. But if you have control over it and you're not bipolar, enjoy yourself. You know, have one for me, okay? But, um, you know, if you are bipolar, please understand that, guys, it just doesn't work just does not work so um that's it i just wanted to wrap things up and and tell you a little bit about alcohol and some of the horrible horrible things that i've been through this was alcohol 101 mr joe's bipolar podcast i'll see you guys again real soon thank you so much for listening have a great night everybody Yeah.